Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. She is cooler than a loth cat in sunglasses riding on a rancor. It's Lindsay. <laughs> windows down and all. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you really ride your Rancor without the windows down? No, absolutely not. That would just be absurd. It's just blasphemy, honestly. Um, <laughs> Rancors are on my mind because I'm reading the uh, Dawn of the Jedi comics, and they're like the Jedi, as they were at the time, are like creating new <laughs> creatures so that they can <laughs> imbue them with the force. It's very weird, but it, it works in the story. But they create a Rancor dragon, which, yes, I did a double take on when I read it. I was like, oh, oh, Rancor dragon. Oh, so it's a flying Rancor. So if you want one of those, they're out there in the galaxy. Oh, my God. I feel like this is like a evolution doesn't exist argument. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, good times, good times. Um, so Lindsay, what is uh, what's new with you? Are you reading anything interesting or? <laughs> so, so as you know, and I'm sure anyone who uh, has put two and two together, this episode is pretty late coming out for us. I feel like we're normally pretty good about recording within a week a book comes out, but this is our is this our third or our fourth take? I mean, I do this. honestly, it's a, it's one of those like uh, PTSD kind of things. Where you don't remember it clearly. <laughs> I just locked it out. So <laughs> let's hope all internet stays up and everything gets recorded. But I I'm trying to think because <laughs> I feel like in the many many times we've recorded this, I've had such different answers to everything. Because you know I've I've done the whole. Let's see what's coming out. Mandalorian has been out for a while now. We're going to have episode six tomorrow morning at the time of recording this. So I've been binge watching and, and diving into Mandalorian as the weeks go on. I've done um, Certain Point of View has come out. And then, of course, just typical, you know, non-Star Wars readings, we'll say. But yeah, I feel like it's it's been long enough and we've we've had the conversation that there's so much Star Wars, but there's also nothing terribly immediate. Yeah, but I, I kind of like this slow, steady pace of it, you know, like you get Mando, you get to freak out about it for a week, like I've been doing, obviously, with Ahsoka. Um, and then you also just have you have the books to hold you over. And then High Republic's going to start coming out and... So we're we're in good shape. I have like the books keep piling up for me. Um, so I got uh, a paperback edition of Black Spire to do my rereads uh, four months ago or so. Uh, it was a, it was a while ago. Um, it might even be six months ago. It might have been when we were still in Houston. But 
I haven't read it yet because I forgot that one book was coming out and then I had to read that. And then I found out that Ready Player Two was coming out. So I had to read Ready Player One, which I still am not done with because it's a very long book. And then Certain Point of View. So, of course, I had to I'm reading that and put Ready Player One on pause. Hey, hey, um, <laughs> I have Ready Player Two sitting on my desk. I, love that joke. <laughs> I know. Right. It's really it's really bad. Um so yeah, I've got plenty to read, but I do have Christmas break coming up. I am planning an epic saga rewatch. I'm going to rewatch all of the movies in order. Nice. Yes. Um, going to take full advantage of uh, just being a, a trophy husband for that week. It's going to be pretty great. <laughs> It's gonna Lucky be pretty great. Brooke. You yeah. know, I meant to ask you, did you uh when when the High Republic excerpts came out, did you read any of those or did you avoid them? Um, I was going to read them, so I didn't actively avoid them, but I honestly forgot about them. And it was at the point now where I'm like, with everything I'm gonna try to be finishing before the end of the year, there's no chance I'm gonna remember it. So I just figured I would wait and and uh there's not been a lot of conversation around it. I think a lot of people are waiting or just don't know. Um, so Delray released the first eight chapters of, uh, I believe it's Light of the Jedi. Is that the first one that's coming out? I think so, yeah. yeah. I didn't read them. Yeah, I haven't. I, I didn't read um, anything. I shared it with you guys because I knew, um, like, Zach has probably read it. And, um, but, yeah, I'm holding off on that to till it comes out. Um, I'm also not as good digesting stuff digitally as I am on paper. Uh, Same. so like comics are good because I, when you can swipe from slide to slide, basically it, it allows you to feel like you're in the action more, but my ADHD, anytime I touch a screen, I'm like, Ooh, Facebook, then Twitter, then the, da, 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 and I just bounce over like a, I don't even know a chicken with his head cut off. That doesn't really work as an analogy, but you get the point. I do. And you know what actually surprises me is that you, even with the not really uh, enjoying that medium, and I'm the same way, I would much rather kind of turn pages. I think that holds my attention a little bit more, especially because to me, in my mind, as soon as I read something on a screen, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm at work. Um, so it's nice to be able to turn my brain off a little bit and just flip through the pages but I'm normally the one who dives into every trailer, every commercial. I like this, you know, frame by frame breakdowns, but I don't like spoilers for books and you're the other way. You avoid those trailers, you avoid the commercials, but you would actually be willing to read the excerpts. No, 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 no. I don't read the excerpts. I don't even read the back. Oh, of the I thought book you said anymore. you were going to. No. Well, I was going to then. Yeah. Mm. Um, but in general, I don't. Um, yeah. Yeah. So especially gen- generally, for, I don't. For me, it's it's something where, you know, especially in as, as we dive into Thrawn tonight, of course, we're going to talk about this. But when we have new characters and brand new worlds and brand new plots, it's almost more challenging for me to just read one chapter and be like, that was good. I can't wait till the book comes out. Because then I'm going to get the book. I'm going to skip the first chapter. Like, well, I already read this. Not remember anything. Like, I know, I know this about myself. It's not where I thrive. I'm better off just waiting until the book comes out and doing it all in one sitting. Yeah, and you literally do it all in one sitting. Um, I pretty do. Much. You're a psycho. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see once it comes out. Um, 
I, I have no doubt it's going to live up to expectations. Uh, one, because I feel like this is something that Star Wars fandom has actually tempered their expectations on, which is uh, refreshing. But also when you have Claudia Gray and Kevin Scott kicking it off for you, uh, Charles Sewell, it's really hard to go wrong. Uh, th- those are probably the three like top. Um, they're... They are, for the modern era of Star Wars, to bring it kind of to Thrawn, what Timothy Zahn was for the beginning of the expanded universe. Like, I I don't think that's a stretch of a parallel because... No, no, no. I think that's spot on. Because that's one thing, you know, we've talked about with Thrawn is, um, and not just with this book, but with all of the the Thrawn books, um, that Zahn, we recognize his place in, in Star Wars and... Um, everything that he's contributed to it and how a lot of stuff, even that we had in, in stuff we like, like Rebels and uh, possibly Mandalorian, uh, possibly another show, wouldn't even exist. A lot of things that we had in the expanded universe wouldn't exist, good things, I should say, uh, without Zahn and his world building and stuff. And I feel like Claudia Gray is my personal favorite. But when you look at, uh, you know, like what Kevin Scott did with Dooku Jedi lost and the, the lore of the Jedi that he added there. Um, and Sewell, if you look at his Vader run and the lore that he added there, like this is going to be some lore heavy stuff that I'm very, very excited for. I have a lot to say. Um, but I feel like this could easily turn into the High Republic discussion. But I feel like you set us up for the perfect segue into Thrawn when talking about the good things Zahn has given us. And maybe if he has a, has held his place as the best expansive mind of Star Wars. Well, let's delve into it then. Let's go ahead and get started into it. And, and we can kind of try to come to a conclusion there because... I think there's an argument to be made um, possibly both ways with this book. So for our new format that we're doing, uh, Lindsay and I will both be rating the book out of five to start out with and then have our discussion, and we will re-rate it at the end to see uh, if we have influenced each other or the discussion has brought us to a deeper understanding and helped us appreciate the book more. So with that in mind... Uh, Lindsay, I'm going to let you go ahead and start with what you rate um, this Thrawn Ascendancy, Chaos Rising. All right. So even though you and I have had a few discussions that will never see the light of day, kind of just the beginnings of this, I think the longer I sit with this and the more I dive into other Star Wars things and remember what I do and don't like, I'd actually really only give this a two, I think. And I think that's actually lower than what I put it at the first time. But again, the more I, the more I sit with it for now, I'll, I'll keep it at a two. All right. All right. So I want to put mine in perspective, uh, because I think that in this case, it's important to, um, what I'm going to talk about later. The, original Thrawn book that came out uh, in the new canon, the one that's just titled Thrawn, that is the only Thrawn book that I've liked so far. And the only book that I liked, I've liked, i liked Thrawn in, for the most part, I'm not a big uh, Thrawn fan. The last one, Thrawn Treason, 
is the bottom of the barrel for me. It and Battlefront 2 are hanging out, uh, sharing death sticks or something down there. I don't know what's going no, on. No, Battlefront 1. Battlefront 1. Yes, 1. I'm sorry, I said Battlefront Ooh. 2. So, ooh. No, Battlefront 2 <laughs> is one of my favorites. Whoa. Shout out Christy Whoa. Golden. Um, but the, yeah, so Thrawn Treason was a 1 for me, uh, bottom of the barrel. And so my rating here is a two and a half. So I just wanted to kind of put that into perspective because that I feel like that is a big jump um, from what we had before. Because to kind of kick it off, like I, I generally overall, I really liked the book. Uh, I thought it did a, a good job of world building in particular, which is kind of I feel like what they were setting up here. Um, but overall, I think it was a, a really good start to the trilogy. So what were your overall impressions of the book? So my biggest thing is, and I'm happy you said uh, kind of the buzzword there, but for me, the biggest takeaway and the biggest positive thing about this, I think actually was the world building aspect of it. You know, for, for people like you and I, who it, I, I would never say we know everything about Star Wars, um, <laughs> we know a lot. We understand the worlds we're working in. We understand the power structures we're typically working in. It's unique for me to pick up a Star Wars book and feel like I'm starting from scratch. But that's something that I really like. I like diving into different fantasy books and different trilogies and different worlds and getting to see things come alive. But unfortunately, that's just something that is lacking in Star Wars, not because of any particular author or any particular story. It's just that the, this is an entity that's been around for going on 50 years. You know, this was something fresh though. So being able to go into this whole new region, this whole new power structure and start to build from the ground up was actually a lot of fun and something that we haven't gotten to do in star Wars for a while. So the world building was definitely, definitely a plus for me. I like that structure that was set up. I think it was very tangible. I think it was really well done. That being said, I don't know if all of the characters necessarily hit the mark the way the world building did for me. Thinking about it, like, it might be the the part of Star Wars that has had to do the most world building since Heir to the Empire. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you think about Force Awakens, for example, like, you're world building there, but you pretty much have the same dynamic that you had in the original trilogy. The prequels... Yeah, and you're still building off of things. Even Mandalorian, yeah. it's, it's fresh, it's new, but you're still... You have a reference point. Exactly, yeah. And here you don't, and here... They, they kick it off right away by saying a long time ago beyond a galaxy far, far away, which I thought was pretty was a pretty cool way to to um, really tell you, like, this is not this is not your grandpa's Star Wars, if you will. You know, um, yeah, that, that, that this is literally the unknown regions, both in terms of where where we're at and also uh kind of the the situation that we're set in and the the big thing about the culture which i found really really interesting is the nine ruling families um and that dynamic of how they uh, can bring in people uh that you have different rankings in there they're they're each kind of their own 
clan. They're their own, um, mm-hmm. almost like little government in a way, you know, or uh, not government rather, but military kind of force where you have these ranks and you have to earn your way up and stuff like that. And I, that to me, that's a very Star Wars idea on two levels. Uh, you have the, the adoptive family idea, the found family idea, but here it's kind of um, out of whack. You know, it's not it's not found family like you have in Han, Luke, and Leia, or Ray and Finn, or and Poe. Um, you know, it's not Rebels style found family. This is like you found your family, but only because you're you're worthy because of your skills, right? Um, and yeah, it's it's found family out of necessity, not yes. affection. Which yes. is which is, I guess, how Rebels even started, and in a way, Han, Luke, and Leia even started. But yeah, it's not meant to grow anything beyond that, and that's fine. It's it's more forced family than found family, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair. So I found fair. that really, really interesting. No, and I thought what was really good about that whole concept because that is one hundred percent one of the things that worked for me having those ruling families and the way that they kind of can shuffle people in and out of it. It was a great example of how something can be complex, but clear at the same time, you know, things don't have to necessarily be completely simple and a one-to-one ratio of this is what it's like in America or in the real world. So this is just the direct translation, but in this fantasy world, It was something new with roots in history, but it was still very clear how it worked from the get-go. Yeah, Zahn, he he takes, you know, obviously ruling families, you could think kings and queens, and you can even think like um, fiefdoms and, and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of clans, tribes. There's all kinds of cultures that uh, implement that kind of structure, right? But then you have the syndicure, uh, the aristocra, and the expansionary fleet forming this kind of checks and balances that you have in an American government and democracies, you know, across the world. But particularly, you know, with the three branches, uh, that obviously is alluding to America. So it's it's a very Star Wars thing to take something that we know and repurpose it uh, in a new way. You know, you look at the uh, the old microphone on uh, the, the medical droid or um, the women's shaving razor as Qui-Gon's um, <laughs> communicator. Like, those... That's the first one that always comes to mind. Yeah. Right? Because like I you... remember nine years old, I was sitting there and I was like, I've seen that before. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, I never really realized what it was. But I was just like, that's just so familiar, right? And it, it's this, yeah. it's kind of like an, an eerie thing where you're like, I understand this, but I don't know why I understand this, yeah. which is really, really important when you're um, doing something uh, that you are building this new world. One thing I noticed about um, the families, which, you know, talking about parallels, I found kind of interesting, is I think there's a little bit of a similarity of how the Chiss uh, take their names based on their families and the way that the Handmaidens take their names after Padme, with a little bit of that changing wow. on the end. Yeah, I don't think there's anything there, but I, I'm kind of like, No, hmm. but it's, it's an interesting correlation, yeah. Like, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if, if uh, Thrawn made that connection when he met Padme, you know? Huh. Uh, hey, Padme, Dorme, or not Dorme, which, who was the, ah, oh, man, see, I wanted Esme. to like. no. No. 
the one in uh the one in not treason the second thrawn book man we are bad podcasters look at us we're the worst uh alliances the one that dies in alliances i can't remember her name um i don't know r.i.p all because we're the worst we are the worst um but speaking of world building we have to talk about the skywalkers because they were a huge part of the world building factor that was brought in in thrawn treason and you obviously can't say the word Skywalker in Star Wars without their it, it being loaded. Like, it's completely loaded. <laughs> I think that name's taken. Yeah, right? Um, it's yeah. weird when I was typing my notes to type it in lowercase, um, with a lowercase s. So, I, uh, I like the idea of the Skywalkers and the character tension that it builds um, with regards to essentially what do you do when you have a prodigy who is no longer air quotes useful? Um, because I think that's kind of what happens here is what happens when a prodigy, you know, can't do, uh, what they are, are meant to do as a child, you know, um, and they get tossed aside. Mm -hmm. And I think that builds some, some good tension, but I do have issues before delving into that with, um, kind of not having a clear idea of how it works. And that does bug me because I feel like that is something that that's the factor of the world building that doesn't work for me. Um, we know for all intents and purposes, how hyperspace works, right? We, uh, we get that idea. And so you're essentially traveling through, uh, hyperspace in, by using the skywalkers and you're mapping using the, mm-hmm. the force, but I don't know. I just felt like there was something missing there. I don't know if it's Thrawn or, uh, excuse me, Zahn setting up something for future books that maybe whatever we need to um, know about how they do it is something critical to a later story. But I'm like, are they in a trance? Are they connected? Like, are they wired in like uh, Anakin to Vader? Like, I need more there. Uh, that that part was a little frustrating for me uh, because what I feel like... What do you like, mean are they wired in like Anakin to Vader? Like Anakin's nerve endings were wired into Vader's suit, you know? And so that's what allowed... Oh, the suit. Okay. Yeah. Is it more of a cybernetic kind of thing? Because I, I honestly wouldn't have thought of it if we didn't have the other navigators, but we have these other navigators of other species who are able to hold on to their uh their force powers in order to do this and you're saying that the the chis lose those powers there's just i don't know there's something there that i'm hoping zon is setting up something and i'm going to be eating my words later on but um what what were your thoughts on kind of the the presentation of the skywalkers um and particularly like how that whole system works yeah. I mean, what's hard for me is kind of coming out of Star Wars for a second, right? And not worrying about the mechanics of it all and the technicalities of it all, but thinking of how I want to find the information out, right? I don't see anywhere in the story where we could have had that exposition and gotten that information without there being like a time out in the story. I think the only way to really convey that would be to almost have like an interlude where it's like, Hey, wait, time out. Okay. So here's what you need to know. Here's all the background information. I just, as, cause as, as I was reading it, it's 
confusing and it takes you out of things a little bit. I just don't know how we could have gotten the information, which could also be, and this is one of the, the reasons why this book is lacking for me. Is it really something you can introduce if you can't artfully explain it? That's fair. I don't think I even need a full explanation of it. I think just something where they, you know, interface her with the the system or, you know, they they talk about hooking up, um, you know, wires or whatever. Like, just something to make it a little more clear because it was hard to paint a visual. But I do agree with you that, like, actually going in depth in it is something that's going to be challenging, um, especially to do in written form um, because I feel like it would be such a visual thing. So maybe maybe for getting Thrawn in live action, maybe these Skywalkers will play a role in that and we'll actually get to see that. That would be, I would be cool with that. I hope so. Like I'm, I kind of think of um, Avatar. I think that's something that they show visually really well is how that connection works, kind of what happens to the body, what happens to the mind, like you said, those nerve endings. Like I think Avatar actually does that. And I don't mean uh, The Last Airbender. I mean the, the James Cameron movie. So take that how you will. But, you know, it's it's clear. There's no real yeah. questions that come out after you see how that works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it, it, it even, like, you could go to even something classic like Terminator. Like, you don't question how the Terminators work and because they give you those moments of explanation, but they're for the most part, it's a show. Don't tell, but you can't really do that in a book. Yeah, exactly. Um, but going back to the idea of a prodigy who is just destined to be tossed aside, I might be stretching here. I might be getting really flexible, but I, I'm, kind of thinking this is some foreshadowing for where we're going to see Thrawn at the end of this trilogy. Um, Hmm. I, because Thrawn obviously is a, uh, he's, he's a prodigy for all intents and purposes. He's selected, he's protected. He gets away with things uh, that others wouldn't because of his abilities. Like those are literally like things you get for, uh, a football star in America, you know? Um, and this is probably going to get me some hate mail, uh, clashing sabers network at gmail.com. I really hope that Thrawn <laughs> at Drew Brett. Yeah. At the Drew Brett. <laughs> um, uh, I, I really hope Thrawn is disgraced at the end of the trilogy. I hope that he fails and the ascendancy suffers from it. And then we learned that him going to the empire is really him tucking his tail and hoping that he can um, reestablish himself. Yeah. Um, because Would and, that make you like him more as a character? Well, that's what I was going to say. The, the thing about Thrawn, and I've said this on literally every Thrawn episode we've ever had, I want to see Thrawn fail. You never really see Thrawn fail. Like, they kind of have him fail but nothing serious here they have like people not understanding him so it looks like he fails but he never actually fails in any of these books which makes him a mary sue if there's ever been a mary sue (laughs) 
So, you know, I, I think the way you're trying to phrase it too, is it's not that he doesn't fail. There's never any consequences. Consequences. When he does. Yes. Yes. And so to have his first major failure, his first major, uh, set of consequences he has to handle being, going to the empire to try to earn his way back in and he has to you know play if you will to the emperor and to what the empire would want in in order to protect uh the ascendancy because it's very clear that he cares about the ascendancy and um i i think that that narratively that would make a lot of sense and even if you know you Think how interesting it could be if you have him leave the Ascendancy, uh, tucking his tail, going to the Empire because he had failed, and then returning um, because of his failure with the uh, the Rebels on Lothal. Like, it's kind of a full circle moment um, that we would see. I don't know if back. it... I don't know if it necessarily would be full circle because the only issue with that is we know from his time in the empire that his biggest issue is still, he doesn't understand the politics of it, right? He doesn't get how to play that interpersonal game strategy, military. He gets all of that. So it would just be difficult for me to say, okay, he, he's disgraced. He tucks his tail between his legs and he runs, but he doesn't learn anything from it. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it, it, they don't really get into the politics in uh, in Rebels. So they would have to flush that out somehow. Okay. Is, that a, is that something you want to see? Is that like, would that for you, yeah, would I mean, it make it more that compelling? We saw so, it's something that we saw so clearly in at least the, the first Thrawn book in that first trilogy you know, that was his whole issue and why he went to Price in the first place was because he didn't get how the politics of things worked and he didn't get how to deal with Tarkin and all that. So for him to, assuming assuming this does play out this way, where he does fail in the long run here, and it's partially because he just doesn't have those interpersonal skills, for him to then go and say, you know what, now I can go perfect something totally new. I've never been to this part of the galaxy. I'm not part of this empire, but I, even though I couldn't figure it out where I grew up, yeah, I can figure it out here. That would just be, I think, too much hubris for me. Uh, I mean, it sounds like college. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, Thrawn goes to college. Um, That's a great joke. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think is the at the root of the issue with Thrawn as a character overall is the inability to paint him as either good or evil in a galaxy that thrives off of a good versus evil duality. It is endlessly frustrating to me, and this idea of having him fail will at least show him as being imperfect and, and possibly an empathetic character um, rather than a Mary Sue when he comes back, especially yeah. if um, there's rumors out in the far reaches of the outer rim of the internet that 
Thrawn could possibly have a daughter in whatever future thing we see him in. Um, so, you know, and even his relationship with the Skywalkers, which talking about that, I, I thought his relationship with um, uh, Sherry was was something really that was probably my favorite uh, character moment for him was him helping her learn to fly and then trusting her to have learned um, and and that becomes an important part of the mission. To me, that was a moment of Thrawn. I'm like, okay, th- if you explore this more, I could get behind this character a little bit more. Yeah, well, because it's, it's very humanizing for him. And then on the other side of things, too, not only does it humanize him, it's something that we've kind of seen before with him. You know, we see it with him with Vanto where when he trusts someone to do something, yeah, he really does put that faith in them. So it was kind of the best of both worlds where we get to like Thrawn, we get to see him have this really sweet moment, but we also still know it is innately his character. This isn't a rewrite. This isn't, oh my God, this is, you know, a totally gross misinterpretation of the character it's still pretty spot on. Yeah. Like honestly, I hadn't even thought of it in the context of it being a misinterpretation or not. Like, I guess it just felt so natural that he would do that. Um, and, and, and I like that. I really got excited when it started to cross over with, uh, alliances. Um, and, I mean, it honestly made me want to go back and read that book again, which is a first. Wow. And I know. And um, the fact that, like, Sherry is the the pilot at that time, like, it just, it all worked. And, and I will say I got a little bit nervous after having read Queen's Peril, and Queen's Peril basically, uh, spoiler alert for that, um, jump ahead, like, 45 seconds a minute. Queen's Peril the last one, probably third, maybe even the last half of it, is running parallel to uh, what we get in The Phantom Menace. And so, in a weird way, I was worried that this was going to be just parallel to what we got in Alliances. Uh, So, I appreciated that it wasn't, and I also kind of wished that it had been a little bit more at the same time. Um, it It almost made that story feel like, oh, that just happened real quick over off the side, and now we're back to where we your regularly scheduled uh, programming, but the yeah the relationship between Sherry and Zahn really worked, and for me the uh, the relationship. What did I say? Zahn. <laughs> God, it's so hard. <laughs> you know when you self insert these characters and you name them very close to your name, it's kind of hard. You're Mary asking Sue. for it. You're asking for it. Um, Sherry and Thalias, or uh, the Skywalker and the Momish, like, to me, best okay. best so, part of the book. Okay, okay. I'm happy <laughs> you said that because, yes, I think that is what I would prefer the entire series to be about. It works. It's something that's, you know, we talk about it all the time. So inherently Star Wars it's interesting to compare it to other, we'll say Padawan mentor relationships that we've seen in star Wars. And it's, it's just a good dynamic because it's 
how do I want to say this? It's tense, but it's still affectionate, if that makes sense. It's a foster parent, foster kid relationship. That's yeah, what it is. and it's it's so weird to me when it's like when the characters know that they are on borrowed time, I think mm-hmm. really allows you to play around in different ways that you would never be able to do if it's like, hey, this is going to be a lifelong commitment. Well, and if you think about like a foster parent and a foster kid, you know, the foster kid is is obviously coming in looking to be loved, right? And mm-hmm. most foster parents are good people who are looking to love on and support a child, but they don't know what's happened in the other's past. They they haven't been together and they're basically immediately thrown together and told, you know, be a family. And that's like not something that you can just do instantaneously, right? Like it's, it's like, you know, uh, even f- divorced families, you know, when you bring in the new step parent or whatever, it's like, it doesn't immediately make you a family just because you have that title. But here we can see because Thalius was in the same situation as uh, as Sherry that, you know, you can make those connections. And I think that was pretty powerful that, I mean, it's like it would be like a foster, you know, kid becoming a foster parent and, you know, passing on what he has learned or, you know, kind of thing. But uh, the the just the dynamic, you know, and and we go back to that idea of the prodigy being thrown aside, and you get Thalius who has spent her entire life looking for her purpose, you know, since the age of thirteen to however old she is in this book, and it happens that her purpose is exactly the place she left when she went looking for her purpose. So I don't that that was just a very powerful. Uh, you can come home kind of thing for me. I, I wish there were a better way to segue into this. Um, but I've, I've said this before and I've been pretty consistent always with this, right? I like when stories are feministic in the way that it doesn't draw attention to the fact that it's being feministic. You know, I I said this with Phasma. I think it's amazing that we can have this incredible villain in that book and no one's sitting here talking about how, you know, it's a great villain for a woman or it's great because she's a, it's just, no, it's a great villain. And that part comes secondary. And for me, one of the great things about this relationship and this dynamic is the fact that it feels so, real and natural but no one feels the need to really talk at any point that okay it's only between two women it's just something that anyone can relate to it just so happens to be two women yeah yeah i'm right with you there like the the initial scene where they meet the uh, where basically they're talking about sherry's drawings um that moment we've all been in a situation like that right like even if it's like you're you're out to dinner with your friends and they're like, oh, I'm going to run to the bathroom real quick. Watch my kid. And you like look over at them and you're like, so you like coloring? What's your favorite <laughs> color? Like that that's a situation that anybody, almost everybody has been in. Right. And to your point, like it just happens to be two women. Right. And, and I mean, 
I'm a white middle class dude, so you know my opinion is irrelevant on this matter. But I I feel like you know if we you you want to present characters in that way, and and the best way to um, to do that is to not be like here's a strong female character, but it's to right. give us you know a so like. George Lucas never went out and said, hey, look how cool Leia is, you know, until everybody had already realized that Leia was cool. Then George Lucas was like, I was trying to tell you back in 1977, she's pretty dope. And, you know, um, so, you know, I I think it's something that's even more important here because Leia, while yes, being arguably the best, was still in a cast of well-rounded, well-liked characters that were incredibly well thought out and well developed. Whereas to me, the other characters in this book, like I could throw away and honestly not care. Every, every other character felt, and even at times these ones felt like more of a plot device than a character that I was supposed to relate to. I would disagree on that, at least as far as Sherry goes. I think there's something to be said there with Thallius when she goes on her, um, what do they call it? Not quest, but basically her testing. Like a little walkabout type thing, yeah. Yeah, her testing to be to move on up the, the levels and stuff like that. Like, I think there was some plot device stuff there, um, but... The I think Sherry was was pretty pure in terms of um, she was a true part of the story instead of just like the trap. But that's of the story. that's what I'm saying. Like that that this is the exception. This is the exception where I feel this connection to these characters and to the situation they're in. Whereas the rest, I was kind of just like, eh, you could swap out any other character with a droid, and it wouldn't make that much of a difference. That's interesting because I, I wanted to talk about Arlani because I actually thought um, she added well she she adds an interesting di- dynamic that I'm kind of torn on because I think she's a really interesting character um, in terms of how they develop her and um, taking on that new identity and fully immersing herself in the expansionary fleet and. She also helps protect Thrawn, which is one of the things that annoys me the most is how much they protect Thrawn. Um, so did you feel like she wasn't? Maybe uh, that's maybe that's why I don't feel like that, because to me, it was that protection. You know, it's it's mm. all a plot device. What about the art scene, though? Did you feel like uh, there was some sexual tension there or is that something that Thrawn is even thinking about? Like, not just with Arlani, but in general? Because I've heard I, mixed reactions on that. I think Thrawn is just totally asexual at this point. And I, I, I don't mean to scoff, because I don't mean that in a bad way at all. No, no. But I, I think my issue is I don't know if that is true to his character or just where I'm at as the viewer with these stories with him. You know, it's... And this this one is easier, you know. I think uh, going back to Air of the Empire type era, he's an easier character for me to break down when I'm not in his headspace all the time. But now, having had three books 
where I was just in his headspace, really. And I understand that robotic way about him. It makes me really disassociate from him. And I have a hard time putting that chemistry in any scene with him just because in my head now, when I think Thrawn, I think that robotic tendency. So one, I think there's a massive rumor uh, going around the the fleet that uh, Thrawn and Narlani um, have no idea is going on, but there's a there's definitely a rumor going around that they're a thing. Um, I'm just throwing that out there. Is this uh, just your head cannon? This is my <laughs> it's my head cannon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but more importantly, to your point, he, I I kind of wonder if it's it's almost like Thrawn is on the spectrum. And I say that to say he does have this, he has a robotic tendency uh, about him. He misses social cues, particularly with, with the, uh, the politics. Um, he, there's a disconnect. Um, he's more of a loner. Those are all like autistic spectrum type tendencies. Right. And what happens there and, and, the reason that a lot of people um, or a lot of autistic kids can, for lack of a better term, you know, get out of hand in certain situations is because the people around them don't know how to connect with them because they don't understand their the inner workings. You know, they their brain functions in a different way than um, right. It kind of speaks to their body a little mm-hmm. differently. Yeah, exactly. And and that's kind of the feeling with what you're saying. The kind of the feeling I'm getting with Thrawn is, um, I don't think he's intentionally written that way, but I think that there is kind of whether it's an actual thing. Um, you know, if he would be a, a uh, high functioning, you know, it's kind of it's it's kind of almost like. Um, so here's here's my issue, right? Because. Honestly, like autism awareness is one of those things that I have been so deeply affected by and I have so many personal stories about and I've worked in that community for so long that it's something that when I see it, I want to see it done right. My issue is that up until now, up until August 1st, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but I think that most people were under the assumption that this wasn't necessarily a Thrawn thing. This was a Chiss thing, right? I thought that the entire species kind of operated and thought the way he did. And he was, yes, he was great at it, but it was closer to the rule, not the exception. Now, we know that's not the case. And yeah, he's he's kind of on, we'll, we'll say, we'll say he's probably would be on the spectrum in that regard. I think that if that's the case, that story has to be told with more care and concern and a more empathetic character than Thrawn has been over the years. 10,000% agree. I absolutely agree. I I don't think it's something that Zahn is doing intentionally. Um, I think... Right, he's not trying to make a comment about anything. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and I think it's, it's... whether it's true for him or not, at least as an analogy, I think it, it's helpful in relating it to the real world in that way. But then if you are relating it to the real world in that way, then you do have to, like you said, you have to uh, handle it with care. and you I have, have some a, responsibility for it, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, 
you know, not to not to dig down into, you know, that rabbit hole to Wonderland, but like having um, Val die so soon in Solo after being the first uh, black woman or woman of color uh, to be on a Star Wars poster, you know, you present her as this main character and then you kill her right away. Like it's it's disrespectful um, to to the people that are invested in that community, you know. And so same right. kind of there's some things here. that have to be handled with care. It can't just be a, you know, this kind of work for the story. So I threw it in. If you're saying that Thrawn is kind of on the spectrum, handle that with care, which is why I don't want to go ahead and and say it just yet and really resolutely stick to it. There's definitely comparisons. There's a lot of things that we can learn, but I just want a better, more lovable character than Thrawn to be that representation. Completely, completely fair to do a terrible segue into characters that are just plot devices and nothing more. Oh, I can't wait. The, the whole, I mean, the pretty much everybody who's not in the ascendancy, um, the Nicardum dynasty, the Leoian regime. I don't know how to say these things. Zon use a consonant every now and then. Like, come on. <laughs> like, it's, li- I, you know, what is- I think he just grabs out of the Scrabble bag and he's like, these letters look like they go together. And you're like, that's not a word. It's not, it's not a word, but he's, he says it so confidently. You're like, well, maybe it is a word. I don't know. I feel like he uses the Hawaiian alphabet. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Yiv the Benevolent. The ruler of the Nicardan dynasty. <laughs> Say it one more time. Yiv the Benevolent. Ruler of the Nicardan dynasty. <laughs> there you go. Save that for your, uh, for your text tones, people. Um, this I was going to say ringtone, Matt. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine? Oh, man. Okay, so here's the thing. Completely a plot device. Uh, it's very much like um, Night Swan in the original Thrawn book. But yes. I, I, I do, there, there is a factor of this that I like because it feels very Flash Gordon um, to me. Okay. It's, a, it's a villain of the week kind of vibe where you don't get a lot of depth of the character. He's just a t- mustache twirling, you know, evil laughing kind of guy. So that, that aspect of it, I like, um, and the fact that they're taking over everything surrounding, um, the, the chaos as a means to trap and conquer the ascendancy. I like that idea. It doesn't seem that complicated to figure out though. So I don't know how, these completely competent uh, people, you know, are missing that. I mean, Dude, Arlani that's is pres- my point. Yeah. That's my point with this whole story. Everything just seems to fit nicely into the narrative that's trying to be told, as opposed to coming up with these great characters who you love and you're invested in and then letting the story happen from there. I think this entire book, and I, I hope that I'm not going to feel this way when the... Is it a trilogy or a series? It's a trilogy, right? It's been presented as a trilogy, yes. Yeah. I just hope that by the end of it, I don't feel like it. the entire thing was reverse-engineered. I just... I, I honestly got I'm just sitting here and I'm like, okay, so we came up with the plot points first... And then we just dropped in these kind of 
cookie cutter characters to fit whatever plot points we had to hit. Yeah, I mean, you could look at the the. I mean, the regime is definitely that because there's like barely any character development in there. Um, but I think the the Vat Combine in particular is a testament to the fact that um, it's all it's all plot devices because you have this idea of them thinking out all of the thought lines, but then when that doesn't when that idea doesn't play to your plot anymore, you're like, but uh, you know, if you attack one, you're attacking all. Like, why didn't you? You, mm-hmm. you gave me nothing to go on for that earlier in the book. So that's what's frustrating. Exactly. Because, again, going to the world building, the world building for the Ascendancy was really good. Like, we haven't even had time to cover it all. You, you We haven't even talked about the whole capital and froze, it being frozen no. over and all that stuff. So, like, that stuff is so cool. And so you have this opportunity to build this world outside of them and you basically are just like they're coming up with this evil plan and oh wait hold on and then you just change everything it's frustrating i have to say i think as much as i did not enjoy this book and this is going to sound so backwards and so counterintuitive but as much as i didn't really enjoy this book i would have liked it more if it was longer yeah, I think so. And here's the thing. I I actually, I really did enjoy this book, like I said at the start. I think it's a really good setup book. Uh, I think it is putting the pieces in the places they need to be in. Uh, I just don't know if it did it in the best way possible. It's hard to tell. It's like, right. it's like Alphabet Squadron, you know? I like Alphabet Squadron 1 yeah. a lot more that now that I have the second one. And exactly. I'm more forgiving. Exactly. I'm more, I was more forgiving of Aftermath once I got life debt, you know? So yes, it is a hurry up and wait. But I do feel like they're pushing out these books quite quickly. I was looking today. May the 4th is when uh, the next book comes out, which seems yeah, very close forget- to this. Yeah, but don't forget most most of these books were delayed because of covid that's yeah but still i mean you you would think so so i'm saying like this this i think was one of the books that was supposed to be out like a month or two before no it no. actually came out no this one, this was one a, wasn't no this one was released when it was supposed to be no i don't think Damn. i don't think uh thrawn was affected at all i mean Hopefully, and you're and you're saying that May the Fourth is when the next Thrawn one's going to come yeah, out. Yeah, May Fourth, twenty twenty one. Good. I mean, hopefully that's that's a good sign, and it's not a matter of okay, we're going to see what people liked and what they didn't like, and kind of go from there. And it's not a matter of okay, we need to figure out where we're going next. Yeah. Hopefully, that means that this was kind of done, you know, in the final Lord of the Rings movie type way, where it's we're going to do this all at once, all in one shot. And we have this cohesive thing, and then we'll just cut it up into different parts. Yeah, which was is a very Star Wars idea, if you believe the things that George Lucas says. Um, <laughs> which, you know, you gotta take with a grain of salt. The kind of to mm-hmm. round it out, the big thing that worries me about the future of this trilogy, because I am very optimistic about it, but the one kind of trepidation I have is the heir to the empire books get worse as they go along 
The first one is fantastic. Uh, the second one is okay. And then the third one just doesn't know what it's doing at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'm going to get blasted at the Drew Brett about all of this stuff. But I'm sorry, it's just true. Like, Clone Luke. And you can and, say the same for the the more recent Thrawn trilogy. Even. Yes, yeah. So they each got worse as we went on. Zahn does not have the reputation of finishing his trilogies with great strength, but then when you give him standalone books, uh, like the the original Thrawn was presented as a standalone. I think the success of it got them to to make more. I don't think they had that in mind to start with. Um, even you know, going back to Legends, Outbound Flight is a fantastic book um, and it uses a lot of the same characters that you have in heir to the empire so when he does standalone books he has a lot more success in my eyes than trilogies so i do have trepidation there but i am nothing if not a glutton for punishment so i'm gonna read it anyways for the sake of the show for the sake of you people yeah you cause this pain yeah, and agony for us for you guys all right and well, to be fair i think it's easier to go into these next two books then with more of an open mind because it's not just a Thrawn book. You know, it's now we know it's a little bit more of a chist book than it is just, Hey, here's Thrawn. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hopefully we will get more of the chist and hopefully we get to get more of that internal struggle um, that's going on with them. I'm hoping that what we really get is we see this book and go, okay, they were dealing with this outside threat. Book two is where we get the, the inside threat where they start to tear each other apart and things start to break. And then the third book is where we get whatever or whoever we got at the end of the book that is controlling Yiv, the benevolent uh, ruler of the Nicardon dynasty. I want to get Bendu saying that. Yiv, the benevolent ruler of the Nicardon dynasty. Yes. How cool would that be? Yes. Uh, I'll just... I'll, Amazing. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll text Michelle. I'm sure she has Tom Baker's number. She's so obsessed with the Bendu. I think it just kind of <laughs> magically appears in her phone. Um I completely lost my train of thought there. Uh, so anyways, yeah, I I think, oh, the third book. I hope the third book is where they realize they have to come together. Um, either they realize they have to come together and they do to defeat this bigger thing, or it really is the nail in the coffin for uh, Thrawn in the Ascendancy and, and he has to tuck tail and run. But I, I think you have the pieces in place to go in either of those directions here so i am i'm excited to see where it goes forward so to close out let's do our re-rating um you rated this at a two to start out with what you said had been slowly progressing over the long extensive wait that we've had uh for getting this episode out so over the last hour how has your opinion changed on this book you know it hasn't But I, again, I've been consistent with this with every single book that you and I have ever covered. For me, the characters are so important. I think more so than the story itself, or in some ways, even the themes. And the characters are just, they're they're lacking too much here for me. Okay, that's fair. Um, I actually am going to do a little increase. I'm going to put it at a three. Uh, yeah, I, I think the things that didn't work, um, 
being able to just think about them in the context of setting something up for the future allows me to be a little more forgiving. And the characters that didn't work, um, particularly those outside of the Ascendancy, um, I, I was a fan of most of the presentation of the characters within the Ascendancy, save for, you know, Thrawn being same old Thrawn. Um, and just the idea that this is setting things up for the next few books is something that I think uh, is allowing me to be a little more forgiving of it. And maybe once we get books two and three, I can look back and go, yeah, we're going to drop that rating uh, yeah. a little bit. Or yeah, because like you said, Alphabet Squadron, like that's the perfect example. You know, neither yeah. you or myself were big fans of the first one. And I wouldn't say we're the biggest fans of the second one even, but... I like the second one in a way that also made me appreciate number one more. And I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that this is going to be the same. Yeah, I really do. Here. Well, and I think, you know, even on books we don't like, even on books that we uh, are more negative on than where we are positive, like at the end of the day, it's Star Wars and we're going into these books really wanting to like them. We don't, you know, even with an... It, a new Thrawn book. I'm like, all right, this is going to be the one. Like, it's spring training. Every time a new Thrawn book comes out, I'm like, all right, you know, the Mets are going to win the World Series. Uh, shout out Jason Fry. Um, yeah, so we'll see. We will see what happens. And uh, that, of course, will be covered here on the Clashing Sabers Network and on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. You can find all of our book discussions. Uh, we have interviews with authors in the past and all of that good stuff. Uh, just click subscribe in the feed and you will get all of our shows, including the newest show, Sith Talk, which is a part of our yeah. network now. Uh, our main show, Clashing Sabers, Starships, and of course the Forever Star Wars series, which is fantastic. And if you are a fan of Star Wars books, then you are probably a fan of getting uh, kids to read Star Wars books. So if you uh, want to help support our nonprofit mission of getting uh, books into schools across the country then you can join our patreon uh, 100% of your proceeds uh, or 100% of the proceeds go to uh, buying and selling books so we're not buying equipment for ourselves first or covering hosting fees or anything like that um, thankfully um, even through COVID, we've been able to have the financial stability to, uh, you know, do that ourselves. And so we can continue to support the kids. So, uh, for as little as a dollar and as much from there on up as you want to spend, you get some benefits and also get to do some good out in the world. So check that out. And you can find, of course, all of that stuff, uh, along with our nomination for teachers, which we will be sending out some books coming in the new year. If you have a teacher you would like to nominate, that is all over on clashingsavers.net so that's all our stuff Lindsay. tell them where you are uh where you're at nowadays because you kind of you've disappeared yeah. i know i've i took a, a bit of a uh, social media break as things got a little crazy um but you know in a couple of weeks um and I don't even mean crazy as in anything out in the world. I really mean mostly with uh, work and some family obligations. But closer to Christmas time, um, things are actually going to die down. So I'm hoping to get back online, get back in our Facebook group, get back on Twitter um, at the Lady of Lore. But you can always find me really and truly. This isn't even a plug to go donate. But, but the best way to get me is probably actually on our Patreon page. Yeah, so, uh, and we, we have some more stuff that'll be coming out there. 
uh, soon too. So there, there's seven levels you can choose from, and each of them provides different benefits. So uh, help get a kid a book. Go get yourself a book. While you're at it, you deserve one. Go order yourself one on Amazon. Don't go to the bookstore right now, not because bookstores aren't awesome, but really, guys, we can't be going out in public. Put your mask on. Now, put it on before you get out of the car. All right. Thank you. Keep reading. Keep writing. But whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. Text.